Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippinex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. And on today's show, we have Christine. Hi, Christine. How are you? (laughs) Oh, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm okay. Yeah, I feel like, well, the time we're recording this conversation is in March. And I feel like there are a lot of big shifts happening. Um, I think we'll we'll talk about it in the conversation, but I, I will be doing uh, a little bit of time in Hawaii and trying to think about what are the next steps coming out of this time, this pandemic, like what, what does the future look like? And yeah, in many ways, it's exciting, but also <laughs> nerve wracking. So I'm sitting in the uncertainty a little bit. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. So I'm I'm with you on on all of that. I think that now that March is here and the world is starting to open back up again and more and more people are getting their vaccines, there's this kind of like, oh my gosh, it's already here and now I have to think about <laughs> what I'm going to do, you know, to to get back out in the world and I was in some ways I was getting into a flow of my life, you know, and in mask and, you know, isolated and I was getting used to doing things from from the pandemic orientation and there is this feeling of like oh my gosh in a couple of months things are going to go go back and I have to I have to really ask myself now like where where I am and who I am about it and you you mentioned Hawaii Hawaii has also surprisingly enough has also been an experience for me during pandemic I traveled there most unexpectedly and it was you know, I grew up there. Uh, I spent um, second grade to fourth grade in Hawaii. And then my parents moved back there uh, for a short time from like 2015 to 2017. So I, I visited them pretty frequently when they when they were back there in that time. And um, I haven't been back since. You know, there's just something so magical about being on the islands that even in a place like Oahu, there's something so so settling. Like it felt, it felt so familiar to me in so many different ways. I think because I had spent some of my childhood there, I feel like I had discovered my, my real personality there as a kid. Cause I used to be really shy. So I was somebody that would like hide behind my mom's leg and I was very nervous and anxious. And then Hawaii happened and I was like, ah! <laughs> oh, and that's where I found my laugh. And that's where I got loud. So that there's something about that place that has always felt like a birthing. It has always mm. been something that kind of helped helps me to, to be all of myself. It was such a gift to be able to have an experience of Hawaii during this period of time. And, and similar to you, to feel like, why am I feeling, <laughs> why am I feeling drawn to going back to Hawaii? And it's very, it's such an, an interesting and an exciting feeling to have. 
just even that story is so familiar to me, whereas I'm probably on the opposite end of the spectrum where Hawaii taught me how to be still because I was born and raised in New York. And I had friends who lived there for a little while around 2017, 2018. And at that time, I had just turned 30 and ended a relationship, long-term relationship, and then had a physical injury. And that... That whole time taught me, kind of forced me to be still. And that time in Hawaii was the place where I I was able to find myself in that stillness and reconnect with nature and and all of these values that I think we hold very similar of having an internal discernment and having a relationship with the land and the people. And this idea that there's an instantaneous feeling like you're at home in Hawaii. I mean, one, it's probably because there is a big Filipino, Philippine ex community there, but there is so many values that speak to our, our pre-colonial values. Just the idea of Kapwa is, is lived and breathed in, in every aspect of the islands there. So yeah, I'm with you. Every time I go, there's a calling to stay longer and longer and I'll be there for a month or so this time. And yeah, I'm excited to see what, what the land tells me, what the people tell me. So yeah, I love that we have that, well, that so commonality. Powerful. Yeah. The, that's really powerful. The feeling of the, relationship of the land and that I love that Hawaii gave you that gift of stillness. I remember when I was visiting in 2015 and I was going through a period of time in my life where, um, you know, I was really deep in my spiritual practice. And at the time I was actually um, a student in seminary uh, because I had left my acting path and I really was searching for my voice. So I ended up getting very involved in the Episcopal church (laughs) and speaking of colonizers. (laughs) And and I, I, you know, I, I went to a church that felt like Catholicism, but was a bit more liberal and, um, and, and had really looked at seriously, um, considered becoming a priest in that church. And what was challenging about it, which is, you know, related to some of these ideas that, you know, some of these questions that you that you ask is that it was the first time that I really, really felt like I was entering into a white world that said that they wanted to be open and welcoming and diverse, but they really weren't. The the pain, I mean, I've I've definitely experienced that in a lot of different ways through my life, but that was quite particular because there was something about, you know, trusting in that idea that if when you follow God, goddess, that everything else will follow and that your life is supposed to harmonize. But in fact, things got a lot more challenging. So I was on the verge of leaving the whole thing behind when I was visiting in Hawaii. And, you know, my time then was very intense actually so I really love that you said that you had found some stillness there because when I was there in 2015 I remember going to the coast and you know 
again, I have lots of memories from childhood, but there were a couple of spots that my dad and my mom, who was, when she was still alive back then, they had took me to some spots that were a bit more remote. And I remember this one spot where the beach was just lava. <laughs> it was just this lava rock formation. And I just felt myself like my whole being just went right to the edge of these rocks and just my, I planted my feet on this, on these lava, black lava rocks and the water just started to crash around me. And I just felt like my heart really, really full. I felt a whole lot of power. And I was like, Oh, Pele, she's doing some talking right now. And I just really, I really, really felt that presence. It was, it was so strong. And that was very, very meaningful to me especially at a time when I was trying to make sense out of everything was what is my real connection with people? Why do I feel, you know, this need to be in leadership? You know, why do I feel this need to point the eyes to divine presence? And there was something there on that very earthen, very sea, very lava level that um, transcended all of that. It was just like a real gift of like, electricity of power of presence of you know it was both really loving and really scary at the, t- at the same mm, time yeah. it was like maybe I'm getting possessed right now <laughs> but it was so memorable when you when you said that that the island had given you that gift of silence that was the memory that I went to right away thank you for sharing that that visual is so powerful I didn't know that you almost went into seminary. So I'm wondering, yeah, if you can go into a little bit of connecting between that, that leaving the seminary experience and then seeing this path of, of Kapwayoka opening for you. Well, I think maybe I should go um, from a little bit further back because, you know, my, what I've come home to is, um, I believe myself to be a conscious artist. That's kind of, that's my working title. <laughs> and, um, and I think that that, that came with the, the journey that I'm about to describe for you right now. So I was a, like a drama school kid and went to performing arts high school and, you know, did lots of different things, sang in choir, you know, was in the, was in the drama classes and all of that. And then something happened in high school. I had this really powerful experience of Shakespeare. It was the first time that I felt like language had magic and had power. It was the first moment where I had realized that that there's something that you can call upon and bring into a performance space. And I know you know about this as a dancer. <clears throat> and it was with this particularly um, magical, kind of sinister piece actually in Shakespeare. And I learned it and I brought it to a competition and I won. So there was, and, and I just remember being in the theater and feeling like, this place is mine. You know, it just kind of felt like, you know, that there was there was so much more going on beyond even just that there were people there, that there was there was energy moving and that there was something that you could host, that you could guide people through. It was shamanic, I would say. Uh, the experience because there were so many kind of different levels that were all happening all at the same time. Um, and 
you know, those were the the moments where, and that was the very first moment where I felt very alive in, and, and that the different parts of myself were all fired up all at once. And so I followed that path through, I went to conservatory, went to a two-year conservatory and had my first taste of professional life in the theater, which was regional theater, which is quite, quite white. And it is quite, quite gray haired, quite traditional. And so, you know, my, all of my training was about being, being a yes person and, you know, being aware that you don't burn bridges and, you know, being grateful if, even if you get handed breadcrumbs. (laughs) And so that was a particular kind of training. I went on for more training, went to Boston Conservatory, Um, became a musical theater person, you know, went to school with people that have gone on to become very successful on Broadway and learned then more about kind of competitive theater life. And it was really all towards theater because it was something that I really believed in about gathering as community and what can happen in a live space. Um, And then I went on and I decided I want more Shakespeare. So uh, I went to another school and, um, that was known as the Army Clown School. And um, the practices in that program were quite questionable. Um, but but that's where I first learned about esoterics. Mm. And it's the first time that I had experienced a real meditation class, the first time that I had practiced yoga and was taught by this very grumpy old man with hair coming out of his nose. And, you know, he'd yell at me during class and be like, God damn it, Christine, no, no, no. And then he would turn, you know, and then he would be teaching us yoga every morning. And he'd talk about accessing the eternal and letting everything go. And and so that was my first introduction into yoga was it within an actor training environment. And my, ex- my experience of the yoga was very much like, wow, this is a discipline. And um, so I was grateful for, for having that sense of it. But there were definitely those ups and downs because at, at that time in the 90s, um, you know, there really weren't a lot of um, Asians that were in, in the field, especially not a lot of them doing Shakespeare. So at that time, Miss Saigon was still kind of a new thing. The King and I thing, the revival of it was all still a, a bit new. Actually, no, that didn't even come until later. So it was really like Miss Saigon that was the the Asian presence in in theater, and then everything else wasn't was pretty non-existent, except that I had um, in two thousand. I ended up doing a workshop and then a full production in early 2001 of uh, Jessica Hagedorn's Dog Eaters. So you may know about that. It's a novel written by Filipino, Filipina, Filipinex uh, author who's written several books. um, And she turned that novel into a play. And so that that play has been done at a lot of different places. It started at La Jolla Playhouse, even workshop shopped at Sundance. And then um, and then we did it off Broadway at the public where Hamilton and Corsland all the public all that was done. And so that was incredibly exciting. It was an almost all Filipino cast, save for like I think two or three people. It was really, really exciting. And I think that there was such a, a hope for us back then that 
more would be happening for the Filipino community, that, that we would be recognized more, that there would be more opportunities. But inevitably, kind of looking at our career since then, like folks have, there are certain folks that have, have definitely done well. It, it was interesting. It's been interesting to, to take a look um, at that great moment of celebration in 2000 and 2001 to have been a part of such a, a special production. And, um, and then to find through the years that there still wasn't a lot of representation for us as Filipino, Filipinx, American artists in, in the business. And it, it was actually through that time, surprisingly enough, that I felt confused. I think that I was, you know, really um, stepping into the game uh, at that time. And, you know, of course I had like an agent and, you know, was really, was really learning how to work that New York scene. I, I really didn't feel like I had a strong sense of my voice and I felt like I was kind of spinning out into, okay, well, I'll just do this job and I'll just take this, you know, I was getting cast in a lot of like prostitute roles. <laughs> so yeah. I played Lolita Luna, the porn star. <laughs> and, um, and, and I somehow, I didn't, I didn't really know how to hold that with a sense of, of real power or, or understand what, what an opportunity it, it was at the time to be able to, to play that role and to speak to women that had gone through a certain experience. So I was so overwhelmed by it that I actually, um, I left it all and it was by an accident. It, and part of it was that I had also been really seeking, uh, I was really looking for a spiritual path. And then I had found this Episcopal church. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I told my mom, hey, I think I want to become an Episcopal priest. And I think I almost killed her because then she, <laughs> had, you know, she, like her esophagus burst, she had internal bleeding. And I was like, oh crap. So I left New York and I went to come be with her for a little bit of time. And I, you know, took care of that. And you know, I continued on on the quest for quite a while. So that journey lasted for about 10 years. And it was really about me trying to reconcile my my acting theater life with a, a life in the church. And what ended up happening was that I ended up doing a lot of music. <laughs> and I ended up finding myself um, more and more um, attracted to yoga and to meditation. So even though I was in seminary and I was doing lots of music ministry and different kinds of things in the church to kind of earn my stripes to become ordained eventually, I was also getting more hippy-dippy and, um, you know, getting more into mysticism. And I, I ended up joining an esoteric school that I then became ordained in around kind of universalism and world religions and and um and then things started to grow more around seeking wisdom uh and so I, I i stayed in that world for a while and then finally decided to leave the east coast and i moved to the west coast and by that time my my, my parents had gone back to california and, and that's where things really started to open up. And that's actually when I discovered the Kulintang. So everything is the fault of the Kulintang. Because as a musician, you know, I discovered that there was this instrument. And then lo and behold, there were all of these other instruments. And because I wasn't involved in like Filipino dance, I didn't know about Kulintang or anything 
anything like that beforehand. Um, eventually, I made my way to the Bay Area, and I had discovered a few artists through an organization called Cool Arts, which is led by Manai, uh, also known as Alleluia Panis, who's an incredible dancer, choreographer. And she had some featured artists there. And one of them was this incredible Kulintang player. Um, and then around the same time that I had discovered his work, I had also learned that there was a master teacher named Danny Kalanduyan, who basically taught Kulintang to everybody who's like a major teacher in the country, uh, how to play. And he was offering some classes at a community college. So I decided to show up there. And then lo and behold, that artist that I was newly following at Cool Arts was there. And then he introduced me to basically everybody in the conscious Filipino community. And I had never experienced anything like this before. My experience as a Filipino American was like, you know, like people's families in Filipino culture. And um, in San Diego, um, the Filipino community tends to be a bit materialistic. So when I when I had met this circle of Filipinos in the Bay Area, it really blew my mind. And suddenly there would be these people that are talking about indigenous tattoos and ancient wisdom. And then I finally meet Alleluia Panis, and she's telling me, you need to decolonize your mind. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What's that? She scared me. And because, you know, she was telling me about how we have this automatic way of thinking. And that's because we have, you know, we drank the Kool-Aid and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've, we've been thinking in this colonized mindset. So that just really set me on a journey. And soon after that, I um, I met the head of the Center for Bilan Studies and she she asked me to help coordinate an, an event to um, help host um, Grace Nono. She's like our voice of the Philippines, the indigenous voice of the Philippines. And when I discovered Grace Nono's music, I it was like there was there were all of these questions in my heart and soul that were answered. All of the search and all of the things around like you know, wanting to become a minister and then finding that I was doing music and finding more and more that I wanted to do world music, they all kind of got answered in Grace Nono because here she was and everything was sounding within kind of the vein that I was really loving and the music that I was exploring. So to have an opportunity to be able to um, to work with her and to help help her coordinate one of her concerts uh, at that time was an incredible honor. And then of course, you know, more things came of that and, and I got to um, meet her a few more times and boy, that just, all of that just really set me on the path. It was through my, uh, my time, particularly with Tita Lenny Strobel that I really learned about Kapwa and, and I was very, very lucky because you know, we were meeting, you know, and all of the, you know, all of the Center for Byline Studies at the time were happening at Tita Lenny's house. So we would just go there and, you know, we'd go to the beach and we'd do these rituals and the sand. I mean, it was incredible. And we'd go to her house and she's this unbelievable cook. So then we would sit and we would play instruments and we would sing and we would share and we would pray. And all of that was was very much like a like an experiential, um, it was an experiential experience. 
of Capua and Capuanas. And so, you know, there was something in there about how those things really, there was so much to absorb from this community of people. And I was, um, I was also really impressed by the sense of strength that existed in the culture that I felt that, that this community of people were really fighting for something because a lot of them were academics and a lot of them were also artists that there was this, this really strong sense of challenge around, you know, looking at the way that they approach things and asking the questions, am I appropriating here? You know, am I honoring my elders? Am I, you know, am I being connected with the earth? Am I listening deeply? And so then it just took, again, it took everything that I was searching for as an actor, everything that I was searching for as a minister, and it all brought it back to the land. It all brought it back to what was inside of me all along, which is like, right, that's like the adage, or that's like the, you know, <laughs> that's the good news of every story is that the answers are always in you. Um, but it was such a beautiful, it was such a beautiful realization that that it really is. And, um, and, and what a wonderful thing too, to, to, to feel as if there were all of these helping hands and these wise, wise people to kind of help guide along the journey. And so all of that eventually led to, to, uh, the starting of couple yoga, which all of that really set the scene. It was really San Francisco, my experience in being in the Bay area that, opened everything up for me and the meeting of Tita Leni and the really having an experience of being actively a part of the Center for Babylon Studies, getting involved in their events and even like doing things like, so Center for Babylon Studies has a real relationship with funds uh, in, in that area as well. And so there would be like these kind of funds, Center for Babylon Studies kinds of things. And, um, up in the Bay Area, there's there's a real connection with the Native Americans that are up there, and there's there's a brother up there who's a part of CFBS, but his um, his family is also deeply connected to the Native American uh, tribes that are you know that are up there in that Sonoma kind of Santa Rosa area, and so uh, just having that. Um, having the opportunity to witness someone who is connected to that particular land and how they related with it, what their rituals were like, what their community was like, really taught me something about, about what it is to be Filipino. And, and that, you know, through, through the writings, through those experiences and, and through like Grace Nono's example that, I think from that moment on, I really felt how incredibly important it is to find ways to go back to the Philippines and to retrace the steps, you know, to, to step deeper and deeper into the soil and to try to find the connections with the deeper roots, to try to find the elders, to try to, you know, investigate the language, to try to learn the songs, to try to learn the rituals as much as possible, even even when your relatives resist, you know, telling you about it, which is definitely, which is definitely the case. But it was such a beautiful. Somehow, it's like when you're when you're sometimes looking for answers 
and kind of looking for an, you know, an alien to, to give you an answer about the future of the consciousness. It's so incredible for the voice of wisdom to come from the past and to feel an invitation from the elders and the ancestors of like everything that you're looking for has already been lived before you. You just need to, I'm going to start crying, but you know, you just need to listen to the hopes and the wishes and the intentions and the rituals that have already laid the foundation for the ground that you're standing on. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm taking a a moment to take all of that in and yeah, thank you for sharing your journey, your trajectory. I see a lot of myself in you from even the beginning. I mean, I think we have the parallels with you with acting and me with dance that those were the ways similar to you, I was introduced to yoga through dance and that being the active stretch, you know, really taking it for just the asana physical benefits and yeah. And then not realizing kind of going in this, this world of competitive dance as well, similar to competitive theater that it is very, you know, it can be very doggy dog. Yeah. There, there is so much more of, wanting connection. I think the the ideas that you present in your journey, I love when you talked about the esoteric piece of a lot of the practices, I think that we're both called to our wisdom practices. They're these things that, that teach us this inner knowing. I mean, it might not resonate with people yet as inner knowing, but when when you feel the connection, whatever it is that, that connects all the things that you do to your purpose, uh, usually it, it's from a deep resonating from within, a deep inner wisdom. And yeah, I just have so much love and respect for you, for people who don't know. I see Christine as an ate, a young elder. I was also open to the path through this process of connecting with Center of Violent Studies. I'm newer on, on this path in 2019 is when I was connected with them and then read their books and read about indigenous Filipino psychology and decolonization. And then, yeah, and then getting my certification the year after that in yoga and then seeing how this concept of kapwa, like you just beautifully said, is this, and like how Atelene says, is this deep remembering in your bones that is asking you to, to come back. It's an invitation from your ancestors, from the land to remember that we already have everything that we need. And a lot of the programming, I think, from the more materialistic Filipino culture that we're used to experiencing, especially in the American diaspora, is a little superficial of the food, the culture, and the material things. But And this always wanting this external validation of, of having other things and other people define who you are and you're supposed to be but this practice which is one of the reasons why there is a lot of uncertainty in this journey of discovery that we're both on and and i'm so inspired by you by is that it's asking you to go where not many people are are willing to go 
And it's asking, and for the most part, it's to go within and to be in connection with the land and to be in connection with your ancestors for the, for the good and the bad to accept all of it and see how all of it is a, is a part of you. And, and then how do you become, you know, in good relation moving forward? Because that is something that I asked myself too, that, you know, I'm not obviously as we're closing the first season with you, I'm not the creator of Kapwa Yoga. And, and I don't, th- I don't know if you would consider, I know you're the elder, but I don't know if you'd consider yourself to be the creator too. It's this thing that we, Mm-mm. the path is just open to us and we become stewards of, yeah. of this awakening of this knowledge in the hopes that we can raise the consciousness of our communities to be in a, in a better, more liberated path. And yeah, it's questions that I ask myself all the time. You know, I, I'm a, a cis male and I know that the Babylon tradition is from a female matriarchal tradition. So I also don't want to, yeah, be a, a modern colonizer in that way. I grew up in the diaspora. I have certain privileges and it's something that I'm always trying to ask myself this whether it's within my community or internally, this idea of accountability and integrity of, am I doing this from uh, a place of, of service and purpose, or am I doing this for my own ego or things like that? And yeah, and it's a very humbling practice to do. So thank you. I'd love to hear I guess a little more with with Kapwa Yoga and how how that started and maybe talking to where it is now with the Kapwa Yoga network and what you envision for the future of of this journey that I'm so grateful to be on with you on. Yeah, I I love that point of you know that nothing nothing is new under the sun and that at various stages through consciousness, you know, groups of people or circles of people may feel that they're pioneering something. But then as you delve deeper into the work, you realize that there are other peoples that have, there are other people that have paved the way before you. Um, There is a scholar named Juana Francisco that Ate Natalie, who will be on your show, will be talking about. He and other people had discovered long ago that there is a deep connection between India and the Philippines. And in fact, because the, the, the languages of the Philippines are um, essentially um, pulled together, it, there, it's the Filipino language, the language cycle or the language group is... Um, is a language that is built on on borrowed words from other cultures. So it's a mishmash of like 30 different cultures. And one of the influences is um, Sanskrit. Um, and so uh, I, I don't know historically what exact language that was that was brought to the islands, but, um, but you definitely see it in our indigenous script called Bai Bayin. Um, and there are, are symbols that correlate almost exactly. There are words that definitely line up, uh, you know, exactly. And um, 
And it was really through that discovery that Kapwa Yoga became alive for me. Um, I met uh, Natalie Maham uh, after doing uh, an event for Typhoon Haiyan. And um, I was living uh, close to the LA area at the time. And there were a few of us who had met up in the Bay Area through the Center for Bob for Babylon Studies, and we had found ourselves regathered in, in the LA area and decided that we wanted to have a conscious response to Typhoon Haiyan. Um, we wanted to bring in prayer, we wanted to do ritual, we wanted to, and of course, Filipino style, have a really long performance program <laughs> and a bit of a festival and a food truck and all of that. So we um, we partnered up with the Search for Inclusion of Filipino Americans, SIPA in Los Angeles, and uh, we held an event there. And, and as we were coordinating that event, the, the director at the time put us in contact with Natalie. And Natalie uh, was a very active yoga teacher. She's also a, a devotee of the Buddhist path. And um, she decided that she wanted to do a conscious event as well at a Buddhist center in Los Angeles and wanted to bring in Filipino culture. So I was like, oh my God, I need to talk to her. And, um, and that was because I had, I had recently completed my, my yoga teacher training at the time or had completed it a couple of years beforehand and had lapsed like I typically do. <laughs> I was like, it's time, to, it's time to shore up my practice again. And so after having a conversation with her, I, she just really blew my mind. She is actually the person that told me about this connection between India and the Philippines. She told me about these, these words that were like, okay, there's this word in Sanskrit and then there's this word in Tagalog. And I just was like, what? And, um, and she, she taught me a chant uh, or a mantra that she had uh, discovered in the Philippines that she had also um she had kind of recomposed into um, a chat that was uh, being used in the in the bhakti and the yoga community. Okay, so of course all of that brings up uh, appropriation and all of that. We'll we'll talk about all that. Um, but the point is, is that it opened our hearts, and the point is, is that it opened up our imagination, and. So we began this journey of let's look at some of these words. Can we explore chance? What would happen if we worked with these mantras? And it was incredible, actually. There was one, one mantra in particular that I won't mention. I'll, I'll allow, you know, Natalie will share that. But um, that just really, it, it's very powerful, you know, the way that, you know, any, any mantra would. Um, there's something about the, the vibration of those of those symbols and of those vowels and those consonants that that really do have a healing effect on on one's being and on one's um, environment. And as a student of of esoteric studies, who were you know, I was also working with mantras in in other languages. The alignment of of working with Sanskrit bye bye in mantras felt very much like the things that I was experiencing in these really deep ancient mantras and of other cultures. So I was like, this is a real, this is a real thing. And it's surprising to me that those, those practices 
haven't been carried forward into the future more fully the way that you know certain indian or or buddhist or you know um hindi sorry and buddhist practices have kind of carried through time or even christian practices so i felt like there was something there to uncover like you know that there was this beautiful spiritual secret that had been you know lingering around over the years and i don't really know what happened but it just seemed like people are are ready to kind of see things a little bit more deeply and or at least that there was an opportunity for Filipino culture to see that we that we have embedded in our very language something of a very spiritual nature. And so that's also when I started to look at psicología and Filipino a little bit more and, and started to speak with people who are Baibayan scholars and just even discovering things like the word shah, and how in the Filipino languages, shah is, is both male and female. Like it says a lot about our deep psychology, that there's this sense of unification and that, and that we, we are um, kind of first and foremost a matriarchal culture. It makes sense when you think about kind of Filipinos in the diaspora and how they're able to adjust uh, to other cultures and blend with other cultures because there's a, a bit of a, sh- you know, if we look at it in a bit of a mystical way, there's a shape-shifting quality that is in the Filipino way of being somehow. And so Shah feels quite related. It's like, I'm neither he nor she. I am also he and she. So it kind of felt like all of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's mm. us, our people. We're so magical. And, um, and then of course, then of course it makes you feel even more connected to humanity because essentially all of humanity is this. Then I, I was involved in Natalie's event and, and then over time we began to have conversations with other Filipino yogis because we were wondering you know, who, who they were and where they were. And so we had spoken about folks that we had met. Uh, then we uh, decided to join forces with um, Amy Valdez, who is a longtime teacher in the Anaheim area, who um, had done a training with, with Natalie. And then um, there was a, a Filipino yogi in the Bay Area named Archimedes de Leon, who had um, run a couple of studios up there. And we all began to have meetings uh, to talk about what if we pulled together a school or and what if what if we created these chants and what if we created a new kind of a music? And so all of that became Kapwa Yoga. Um, and of course, none of us had done any research about any of the things that folks in the Philippines had done because there are there are things in the Philippines that for all we know, there may have been a couple yoga some many, many years ago that, you know, went inactive. Um, like even now, I've, I, uh, one of my mentors informed me that there's like a Bahalana yoga in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, there's things. And so um, we just, just had a lot of conversations is all. Out of that, out of those conversations, I, f- I feel like a couple of really important things happened. One was that I found my, my kind of artist voice 
and that I was having a, we were having a conversation with Kuya Arch and then my song Bahalana came out of it. We had this conversation. I was driving from San Francisco to LA and the whole song wrote itself. And then I decided like a week later, I'm going into the recording studio and it is as of yet the only, the only thing that I've released <laughs> on iTunes and whatever else. And so we'll put the handle <laughs> It's called, but it's a, it's a 10 and a half minute meditation and it's an ecstatic meditation because it begins as a pure chant and then it becomes rhythmic. So uh, it, it celebrates the discovery of a Kulintang rhythm. It celebrates um, the Kubing, it's, it's cele- which is a, a mouth harp. It celebrates um, the divine feminine. And that that sense of being called home by your mother, by the mother of the land. And of course, my mother had passed away, you know, a few years before that times. And I had long felt like I needed to, to dedicate a piece to her. So that piece was very much that. And it was, it was on that piece that we kind of shaped a lot of our activities. So we had an event up in San Francisco that kind of launched us as a school. And then we kind of toured around to different studios. And then we kind of fizzled out because we realized <laughs> that it was um, it was way bigger than us. And that the idea of exploring Kapwa and yoga were in a lot of ways, two very intense things. There was work to understand what Kapwa really is. And there's work to understand what yoga philosophy really is. Then there's also work to understand the connection between India and the Philippines and what exactly are those threads of connection. And I think that we we all got a bit, we felt like we, you know, bit off more than we could chew. And then Kuya Arch moved to the Philippines. He did bring Kapwa Yoga there for a little bit of time. Ate Amy dealt with her many children and her grandchildren and Natalie and I split off. And that's also when I went back to acting. Since then, what's been interesting is that Natalie and I have collaborated quite a bit. We've done a lot of music together. Um, I've done a lot of music in her yoga classes and, you know, finally got my asana practice back after many years and began teaching and began teaching asana again that really fast forwards into this past year. So then in 2020, there was all of a sudden this inspiration. And by this time we had let go of couple yoga. We decided to just kind of like let it fizzle out and wait. And I was thinking, okay, well now I have my asana practice back and I'm teaching it again. Maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a way to re-engage and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, there's somebody that's that started this thing called Kapwa Yoga, this guy, Paul. And hey, there's this group of, of women in the Bay Area. They started a Kapwa Yoga. And I was like, what? Whoa, what's, you know, this is amazing. And how can I, how can I get in on this? And, you know, and, and is there something to, is there a conversation to be had about this? So I think that as, a, as an ate, and as someone who has has really learned from the elders and the you know the caretakers of all of this wisdom, there was something in me that wanted to to really share and to make available 
to younger teachers, to teachers that were were beginning their paths and desiring to teach about kapua and as it relates to yoga and yoga as it relates to kapua. So it has been such an incredible gift to meet you, Paul, like unbelievable gift. And, um, and it has been such a wonderful gift to connect with the circle in the Bay Area uh, because, because through that, I have learned a strong sense of responsibility, that there is a responsibility. You know, there's, there's something, it's not just that there are these elders that speak to us when we start to get deep in our spiritual practices, but they're embedded in the language, and so there's there's there are codes inside of them and there's a vibration inside of them. And it's kind of no wonder why they've been a bit of a secret um, because there's I think they're secret because they ask us to search. They ask us to uncover. They're asking us to, you know, there's there's something about um, that that there are certain aspects of wisdom and secret teachings like you can compare it with things like the the Kabbalah, for example. Like you, you have to be at a certain level in order to actually be teaching the mysticism of Judaism. And so I think that these teachings are like the mystical aspects of the Philippines and you have to go through a kind of an initiation. You have to arrive at a certain amount of depth in order to be able to really share them somehow somehow with, with others. And so there, there's something... There's something about that that has been so so interesting because I've I've learned that clearly my work isn't done and clearly I haven't I still have so much to dive into there you know all of the things that we got overwhelmed by in 2016 and 2017 they're still waiting for us to dive into but I've also realized like I don't have to do it alone I'm gonna get all these young people <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna figure out this stuff together and read read the material together and and I think that that's I'm guessing that's what the ancestors want because there is this thing of carrying the wisdom forward and so when you ask you know like what do you see as the future in the field the future is the past and that there's something about connecting with the indigenous wisdom and about bringing them forward, that there was something about, you know, maybe for them, the industrial age coming and actually getting colonized, that there was a feeling of a, a lack of safety, a lack of containment for the way that those things needed to grow and progress in the consciousness. And now we're in this age of Aquarius where the consciousness is ready, right? For, for a greater sense of wisdom. And it seems like there is a padding, there's a there's fertile ground for these things to reappear. And, and there's an opportunity for those of us who are interested to create that safe space to, to nurture those ideas so that they can they can actually move forward and, and that we can move forward with all of with all of it. I mean, I know that I'm sounding so like um so woo-woo. Um, but but there is something there about just how of, about the way that indigenous wisdom works and about the trauma of of our ancestors and how there was there were practices there that they needed to preserve in a different way they needed to keep those things hidden because they were being taken by people because violence was um, being enacted upon them and so it's a, it's an interesting thing to be in our generation seeking now 
because our parents and our grandparents have a memory of those things, especially for those of them who experienced martial law to any particular degree of like I was told, you know, oh, don't mess around with that stuff. It's, it's dangerous, you know, and that there's a lot of kind of fear. There's a, you know, and of course that's part of colonization is that they create a fear culture. So there's, there's this, a kind of a bit of a feeling of risk that if you dive into kapwa, into the babaylan, into this indigenous wisdom, that you're going to enter into this world of witchcraft and white crocodiles, and you're going to get multo, and you're going to get a curse and all of that stuff. And and so I think that that, that is a, a huge thing to heal because, you know, I know that in sharing uh, the experiences with other people in our you know, Kapa Yoga Network and throughout the kind of the wider conscious Kapwa community that people have very deep experiences and very beautiful experiences of connecting with their indigenous heritage that you feel this like sense of grounding, the sense of great love, the sense of of really coming home in a lot of ways that and the ability to feel connected without actually going there. And yet at the same time, feeling feeling more and more drawn to those places that are, you know, like drawing, drawn to places like Hawaii and drawn to, you know, other places where there is such a regard for, for the land. I could go on and on and on and on and on, <laughs> but the, the Kapwa journey is still, is still forming itself. I, I do find that the concepts are so big in a lot of ways. I mean, on the one hand, they're very simple because it's about being in community and about loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So that's, in that respect, it's very simple. The, the part that that requires a lot more reflection is about connecting with yoga philosophy. So Tita Leni recently became uh, certified 200 hour and she's really spending time with the sutras. Um, and is really is really looking at that connection of kapwa and yoga. So I, I'm so grateful for that <laughs> because it's been really difficult to ask these questions on our own without having as much expertise, obviously, as she does. I think the future of kapwa yoga is really whatever is in anyone's hearts. I think that it's really about helping those of us who are interested in finding these deeper connections to be aware of one another and to help one another discover the kinds of materials and resources that are available and to allow ourselves to dream and to, you know, and to stay pure in the heart about sharing and about, and staying pure in the heart about the possibility of healing, healing ourselves as Filipinos, especially for those of us who are really looking for um, a stronger sense of our our identity and and healing ancestral trauma. And of course, as a yoga practitioner and, and, and as a brother who, you know, we both have, have engaged in um, yoga training uh, for traumatic experiences, that there's something really powerful that you can do through somatic practice to heal trauma. So there is something about going right to your breath and going right to your body uh, and, and, um, healing and listening from that place um, that I think is 
that's why yoga is really wonderful, you know, is that it, it provides that opportunity. And um, so I think that there are lots of possibilities for Kapwa Yoga to be um, a healer. I think that there is a global message around, I think that Kapwa is very related to the idea of Ubuntu. I am as you are. I think um, that there, you know, there's potential for so many things, artistry, trainings, music, new music for yoga. I, I think the sky is the limit. And also that there was a beautiful spirit in the community about just listening to our own bandwidth and to our own space. And then, of course, always asking these questions of, am I being of service to my community? And are my acts of monetization of service to the community or are they to serve my own brand? And that's such a challenging question because in a lot of ways, in order to monetize, you have to brand. <laughs> and it's a, it's, it's a real tension for, for yogis and yoga teachers. And it's a real challenge for performing artists. And of course, it's a real challenge for everyone, essentially, but I, I want to speak to just the two, you know, to the two things that we're really holding in our, in our uh, personal sense of commitment that, you know, there is a real hustle to have to brand, to have to sell yourself and sell your, your, your offerings. Um, and when we're drawing from things that have such deep roots, that have such sacred roots, um, it's a, a challenge to um, to de to develop humility and to develop a real respect and honor for um, the things that need to be preserved and protected. It's a, it's such a tension. It's such a, such a tension, and I think it's in it's in those times that I had mistakenly in the past decided, oh, I'm just not gonna. Not gonna be involved in any of it. You know, stop it for a while. But inevitably, it pulls you back because the soul wants to be authentic. Yeah. There is so much that you have left us with to to think about and to continue thinking about. Yeah, the idea of. The babylon, even as a as a wounded healer, that in in order to be able to walk this path, there is this sense of breaking open that you have to go through for for yourself to be open to to this this path is is something that I have seen in in this community that. To many degrees, you have become uh, a leader for, and yeah, I, I just love the accepting of the unknowing and potentiality and this idea that time is not linear, that part of this process is also realizing that it includes a going back and it, as well as a looking forward and seeing how you can continue to straddle this in between in a in a way that's in good relation in 
in the context of the world that we're living in now, which is very social media driven, which demands perfection, capitalism that treats people like products, that our worth is only as good as what we are able to produce. And that the things that this path teaches us, both in Kapwa and in yoga, is is revolutionary in its simplicity. That it's mm. telling you that liberation is a path that everyone has access to starting exactly where you are. And that there are so many different ways to that path, but it all involves being in connection with each other and community and being in good relation with the land. And that can look like Gulintang, that can look like delving into the sutras. It can look like seeing the connection between Babayin and Sanskrit. And it can look like the physical asana practice and all of those things. There's so much, there's lifetimes of work in each of those specific areas that it just is very comforting to hear that there is no place that we need to be that, uh, and so it is. And, and Mm. just the, yeah, the, the comfort in hearing in hearing that I, I hope that it resonates and also wanting to thank you because you have in in this idea of a second wind or uh, a fertile ground that this whole time you have it's really the credit to uh, the elders of the center of violent cities and yourself that you have been you all have been able to provide this fertile ground of a time of seeding, of planting seeds that we're just starting to see the sapling of what could be. And we don't even know what that plant will be like, but but there is something sprouting from the ground in this time of Aquarius, of time of turning knowledge into action, that there is something beautiful that is coming from our collective effort and that more and more people are being awakened to tend to the land, tend to tend to this fertile ground. And yeah, just just this past week, I mean, so we're we're talking in March and a lot has happened specifically in the, the Asian American community in terms of hate crimes towards towards our community. And this past just this past week, earlier this week, the Kapwa Yoga Circle, which is a, a group of uh, Filipino yoginis, mostly in the Bay Area, they hosted a healing circle. And it had a combination of all of the different practices that they knew from asana to Reiki to uh, somatic breath work to journaling. And I was able to join that practice and it was so beautiful to see that this is, this is what Kapwa looks like. This Mm -hmm. is what it looks like when we share all the things that we know in a way that heals each other in a way that is coming from a place of love and wanting to nourish our souls and refill our cups so that we can continue to do this work and continue to move through the unknown. So I just want you to know that, you know, this, this generation that you have inspired is, is very committed to, yeah, to continuing this work, even if we don't know exactly what, 
what fruits that will that will look like and that if we're we're being in good community with each other to continue asking these questions of are where are we serving from is it a place of continuing to heal this community and uplift this community so yeah i just want to thank you thank you thank you and i know yeah we've had uh, a lot a lot of time together so i guess before we go into the la- the final three questions that we usually ask is there any um, words or anything that maybe we haven't mentioned that you that we, you would like to mention? Sure. Yes, I would love to. I think of Bahalana and I think of one of my mentors, Omero Sigane, who is one of the founding members of Center for Babailan Studies. I think about the work that she did around creating the Babailan mandala and the work that she's been doing lately to help heal the the colloquial understanding of the phrase bahalana in um, Filipino culture it is a phrase that we say like case rasra or like whatever bahalana just you know God is going to take care of it and we say it in kind of a flippant way there's even kind of a sense of like a pessimism behind it but um Ate Omera has been doing some work to help us to understand the the deeper values of bahalana and really looking at it from the perspective of Baibayin and um, and helping us to realize that it's a real reflection of what we were just talking about, that there is such a wisdom. I mean, there's a wisdom in being definitive. There's also a wisdom in holding potentiality. And I think Bahalana, that idea, um, can help us in that, you know, there's a sense of, masculine and feminine, the sense of the breath that are in the values of baha, la, and na, which is about coming into the present moment. It's like when you're casting magic, you're you're basically asking um, the spirits to be here right now. You're also calling upon yourself to be fully present because it's in that state of readiness that we receive answers. It's in that state of readiness that being willing to hold our hands open, that a bird flies into it, that there's there's a, a thing of, of our availability of the questions that we ask that um, I think is really, really fertile. And it's so clear in the event that you just described. I'm so proud of them. <laughs> I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of the way that they have grown at the amount of receptivity that they have shown in in the learnings, in their vulnerability and their willingness to share. I think that in a time like this, when finally there's some recognition for the ways that Asians have been treated, that for those of us who are on this path, this like yogic path or on a meditative path or on a path where we are seeking the wisdom of the elders, that I think it's important as we presence ourselves in, in, you know, we have to meet our communities where they are, you know, and some of us meet them as nurses and some of us meet them as teachers, some of us meet them as entertainers. But I think also that there is an integrity around responding from a sacredness about returning to the healing practices and about returning to listening that I just really love that uh, in terms of the way that the, that the couple yoga circle responded 
to that, that there's, there is, it's not just that people are sitting around in a cave and, you know, lighting candles and (laughs) are kind of out of nowhere, that there, that there's an active, there's an activity around creating connection through gentleness and through helping people to breathe and through helping people to uh, reflect a bit more deeply. And I think I think that this time is also interesting as a performing artist in that, you know, something mm-hmm. happened in my career recently, which is why I went to Hawaii, where I was kind of re- reinvited into uh, the world of performing arts. And, and now my, my career is, is setting me in a, in a different direction than, than what I imagined it would be. Uh, namely that I've been a theater practitioner for most of my acting career. And recently there's been these openings in the TV film land, which inevitably means a bit more reach. And there is something about, about again, about that sense of responsibility as a, as a teacher of Kapwa and as a teacher of yoga, as a teacher of the spirit-led life, that there's such a strong sense of responsibility in me now about carrying the influence of Filipino indigenous wisdom on set, you know, Mm. um, in an audition as I'm doing a self-tape, that there's something there about bringing that along and letting that be a part of these conversations that some healing can be brought into these environments. Healing can also be brought into the world of entertainment because Entertainment influences our culture in such an, a significant way that people learn about violence because of it. Uh, unfortunately, they learn to be violent through entertainment. They learn to, you know, there's a movement of kindness and that's because of entertainment uh, and because of what happens in the media. And so my hope is that more of us will be a bit more forthright about, about letting, letting these practices be more present in, in the ways that we engage with the performing arts community and that that energy somehow can come through the screens and come through the stages when we all can meet together again safely. <laughs> um, but Paul, it's, I appreciate you so much. Um, your spirit of humility is really amazing. I really ad- admire how, how deep, deep of a listener you are. I admire how you know, how you've, you've dived into the material. I love that you're doing this podcast. And again, it's like Bahalana. There's such a blessing around, around what you're doing. Cause I, I also feel like you're, you're doing a lot to inspire people. You're taking, you're taking a, a medium that can easily, you know, be used to abuse our communities. Right. And again, it's, it can be, it can easily mislead people. And you're actually healing people and you're creating connection through it. And I think that's just so admirable. You're, you're really extraordinary being, and it is such an honor to have a conversation with you. (laughs) I thank you as well. If people think that I am humbled, it's because I'm listening to 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 other to our community to the earth to what this time is asking for us and a lot of it is is asking for us to listen and I, I'm here to listen I'm here to 
be that vessel to hopefully, you know, have this idea of living so deep in purpose that it inspires and maybe gives permission for other people to live deeply in theirs. And I think that's part of what this path that we're on is about, that we're, we can be spiritual, but also still be in the world and answering the needs that are happening in the world and not necessarily live a completely monastic hermit spiritual hermit type of life because then that is also a little selfish to hold to think that we're the only ones who can know these things and that by by reaching true liberation it means collective liberation so i continue on just as you do and yeah, and 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 I'm in gratitude of the ways that we'll continue to to grow and and weave our learnings together. And I we usually end with three questions, but I actually think that we've answered them. And the last one I think which would be great to end on is if there's any advice um, that that this time has taught you that that you want to share with the audience. One I've mentioned before which is it was a surprising thing that has come through the teachings of Kapwa, which is that when you say yes to the ancestors, when you say yes to these teachings, when you decide to take the journey that regardless of how fast or how slow you go in your learning, there is a responsibility. This, that there is a something there about that you are saying that you care for this earth, that you that you care for those who have paved, paved away or that have set a dream before you, that there's something to be to be quite respectful of. There's something about being a student of Kapwa that it it really is that thing of like that even even on the in the very communities that we live that there you know I love that map that tells us what native tribe dwells on this land that there is something about connecting with the spirits that are here connecting with the people that are are here I also think of you know some of the deep esoteric teachings which are really about as you spoke about, about connecting with nature, that there's something about having the courage to speak your truth and learning the wisdom to speak that truth with grace. And so there is something about being in the listening of your real, of your song. And your song is something that comes from way before you. It comes from deep, deep, deep within you. And it is also drawn forward through the communities that you engage with. That's where the melodies come from. That's how the sound comes out because you're giving it to someone. And so there's there's something about that, about, about learning how to stay in your own rhythm, to learn what your rhythm is and to, and to learn how to create harmony in the world according to that rhythm so that you're making, that you're making a song that has the possibility to heal and that has a possibility to connect with others. 
yeah, of, of being deep in the song to be in the, in this divine dance. I mean, that's how it resonates with me as somebody who is in the movement arts is that it is both, it's this co-creation of, you know, both creating the music and then being in the flow of an authentic to the, the song, the song, your song, the universe's song. And yeah, just thank you for, for that vis- visualization. I think the thing it made me think of is in a lot of the conversations that we've had this season, the topic of imposter syndrome has come up and it's this deep voice that can sometimes tell you that you're, you're not worthy of doing what it is that you do. But I think a big realization of walking in this path and this time specifically is that imposter syndrome is a product of colonization and white supremacy that it's because we've never seen ourselves and at the table, we've never seen ourselves have seats at the table that we think we can't have one. And how can we reimagine this time of taking all of that and seeing, you know, we came from a, a place that burned down the ground, but we have spent a lot of this time to try to refertilize the soil and tend to the land. And there is a possibility to regrow something that that our ancestors have, have always wanted. Maybe it's not going to happen in ours, but maybe we can continue to till the land for, for something, for fruit, for the land to be to be fertile again. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. This is such a, a great way to end the, the first season and also to, to have this pause too um, in between seasons so that we can continue to reflect you, I, the listener, um, everyone who has been a part of this first season community I have so much, yeah, deep, deep gratitude that all of us are are walking down this path together and that, you know, hopefully this podcast helps people realize that if they're on this path too, they're not the only ones, that there is a beautiful community, elders before us, contemporaries now, and and hopefully an inspiration for for the future to continue doing this work. So... Thank you so much. If you if you'd like to, I guess just to end, um, if people want to be in deeper connection with you, how can they reach out to you if they're inspired from from this message, this conversation? You know, I'm in the process of of updating everything, but hopefully by the time this has come up, there there will be some clearer. So the best way to find me is through my website, www.christinehugueta, J-U-G-U-E-T-A.com. Uh, I have an Instagram, uh, Hugueta. I have Facebook, um, The Christine Hugueta. If folks want to send me a private message, they're welcome to send me an email at christinehugueta at gmail.com. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, uh, I appeared as the infamous Emil DeMarcos on CBS's Magnum PI on April 16. So uh, that is available for streaming through Paramount, through CBS, through you know all of the 
all of the, the stream services that are available, but folks can check me out on there. And uh, I'm also thinking that I'm on IMDb. <laughs> folks can find me on IMDb. And um, I will be, you know, doing all I can to keep my, my social media presence updated. I'm always open to hearing from people. I'm especially committed to lending a hand in terms of guiding people to the right mentors and to, you know, to folks that can really help them, you know, get into their inquiries uh, more deeply. So I am always open to that. And of course I send everybody blessings. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. This is great. It's very special to be able to speak like this and to be, be able to speak about work as an artist from a conscious perspective. I'm very, very interested in that. I'm interested in people who are, are courageous about, about speaking about their spiritual orientation um, through, through work in these secular environments. Um, and, and I just love that idea of like being in the world, but not of it. So it's, um, it's really cool to be able to declare that through your podcast. I really appreciate it. It's such a great honor. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Christine for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for her Instagram and offerings will be included in the show notes. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We offer an IG Live after show the Monday after the episode is released, and it's a great place for you to be involved in the conversation with us. We also just recently joined Clubhouse, an audio-based social platform. You can connect with us there at Kapwa Convos with a K and be in conversation there. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out our website at www.kapwa.yoga to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Wes for the theme song and episode production. You can find him on Instagram at ugarias.xyz. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you on the next conversation.